Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to Free on the Inside Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Minister Joy Lewis. Today we celebrate Black History Month. Black History is your history. 65 Selma to Montgomery March was the climactic event of the Selma Voting Rights Movement. On February 18th, Jimmy Lee Jackson was shot and killed by police during demonstrations in Marion. Infuriated by Jackson's shooting, Hosea Williams and John Lewis led some 600 black protesters on March 7th across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. They were blocked by state troopers, Dallas County Sheriff's deputies, and mounted deputized men. Amidst building tear gas, law enforcement beat the marchers back across the bridge. As a result of this event, which became known as Bloody Sunday, Martin Luther King called for sympathetic Americans to join him in Selma to renew the march. On March 21st, King led a diverse group of 8,000 demonstrators out of Selma under the protection of the National Guard and federal marshals along U.S. Highway 80. On March 25th, King addressed 25,000 from the front of the state capitol. The national publicity that the march generated played a significant role in U.S. Congress, adopting the Voting Rights Act of 1965. That's a short history of uh, of uh, intro of what we're going to talk about today here. You know, I want to be very mindful that this is a time that we need to just reflect on how good God has been to his people. And as we reflect on the black history, we want you to know that black history is your history. We have someone that's on the line that is helping us more information about that Selma Montgomery March of my good friend, Carol Reed. She's a historian and also a very, a very active participant in the life of, of the community. The next voice you'll hear will be Carol Reed. Good morning, there, Carol. Good morning. To the program. Good morning, Brother Joel. Thanks for having me this morning. Well, thank you. You know, as I was going through our archive regarding Black History Month, I really was surprised about some information that I knew uh, that I was heard about regarding the, the march in, in Selma. Like, give me some more information regarding that. I didn't realize that here Dallas County was involved in that. Well, Dallas County was involved in it, but a lot of people from the area did participate in it. Like I said, the March to Selma, Alabama was actually organized again by uh, SNCC, the Student Leader Constitution. This was a, a group of small of uh, college students, and and that's how Senator John Lewis came to be the chairperson for this march. But when we talk about Dallas County, people from this area participated quite a bit in uh, protesting it and participating against African American people who were uh, uh, protesting for the uh, Voting Rights Act. And really, uh, if we talk about Dallas County, we also have to make mention that Selma, Alabama, right near this area where Bloody Selma, uh, Bloody Sunday happened, uh, uh, is a place called Dallas County as well. So we have to, we'll, we'll get them both uh, confused, but there is Dallas County in Selma, uh, in the county of Selma, Alabama, where uh, uh, the Edmund Pettus Bridge and Brown Amy Church is actually located in Dallas County. Uh, they have a Dallas County there, but it's not the same as ours. But to say that, uh, I say that to say this, that we did have people from this area who went down and participated uh, in, in the protest uh, on the Bloody Sunday uh, that day, with, along with all of the uh, Martin Luther King and SCLC and SNCC and all those kind of people. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Now, give us some information mm-hmm. regarding that, because that seems to be a lost history for black culture. Well, well, uh, Bloody Sunday uh, involves uh, how it all began was, uh, as you know, you know, people, black people were across the country being denied the right to vote, and they had all of these 
uh, uh, made up laws, particularly in the South, to keep uh, litmus tests is what they call them, uh, to keep black people uh, from voting, from blocking them from voting. And they would walk and go to the voting registration office and they would try to vote. And they had all these crazy litmus tests. Like they would maybe put up a jar of marbles and say, you can register voters. You can tell us how many jar marbles are in this jar, which was impossible to just say it. Or or they would put a large book up there and say, "Have you read this?" and and you say no, and then they say, "Well, you can't do this if you don't if you haven't uh, read the um, have you, if you haven't read this book, or uh, you're going to have to take this kind of test before you can uh, uh, we can allow you to register to vote." And on one uh, um, evening, um, uh, Jimmy John, Jimmy Lewis, John Lewis, um, there was a young man, and he and his dad proceeded to try and go register to vote, and his father was a elderly gentleman and they went to try and vote and of course they were attacked uh by uh, again as was as a usual um situation was being attacked by the police and was beaten by his brother by um uh, be, was beating an older man man down well his son tried to protect him and they ended up shooting and killing him and this uh uh brought on the alarm of uh snick uh, uh, the student uh, national college uh, um, organization who decided we will stand up for this young man and and we will go here and we will march uh, against the violence of black people who are trying to register to vote. Uh, so the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, also known as SNCC, was made up of, again, black and white college students from across the country and that was ran by John Lewis who would then now become our who is now one of our senators in our in the Congress. And then um they contacted Martin Luther Kingdom who in the area managed all of the civil rights protests that would happen in the South in particular in South Alabama. And so that was made up of uh, the Southern Christian Leadership Council, the L C L C was made up of a group of ministry. The 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 African American um, uh, organization, uh, uh, the civil rights movement was organized and led uh, in leadership by the church, by the male pastors of the churches, and that's what a lot of people need to uh, understand. And that is why it came down the 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 um, the, the theme of how we organize and how we op- operate our protest against uh, the, uh, the ills of black people was done on a nonviolent uh, platform that Martin Luther King established because he felt like that is the way that we will make our mark. That is the way we will accomplish our goals. And so together, uh, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and um, the um, Southern Christian Leadership Council, which was made up of Martin Luther King and other ministers across the country, decided this was uh, going to be the effort uh, to march on uh, some Alabama uh, in protest of the killing of Jimmy Lee and, and his dad, Jimmy Lee Jackson, and his dad. Uh, so that is what what was the catalyst for getting um, the march for Selma, Alabama, uh, uh, to on uh, the Edmund Pettus Bridge on Bloody Sunday that day. Well, thank you very much. You gave us a lot of information on that, and you seem to be very knowledgeable of what's going on now. Now that march is still going on right today. Just tell me about the events that's, that surrounded that march and and as that that day approaching. Absolutely, absolutely. We, um, again, on that particular day, 
the Martin Luther King, and when they made a couple attempts to get this this initial march going, and um, the uh, Alabama ordered their national state troopers to be there uh, to make sure that they did not march. And even Martin Luther King came on one day, and as they came across the crest of the bridge, saw uh, uh, the, the Ku Klux Klan members, uh, violent uh, bystanders and state troopers waiting for them. And uh, they turned back a couple of times, but a- after getting a federal order for the government that they could pro that 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 that, that they were uh, well, they didn't get one. They, uh, they were they didn't have the support of the local government to go and march over. So on this particular day, John Lewis and uh, another leader of the SCLC decided that they would go ahead and do this march. And when they marched across the bridge, they were accosted by those state troopers. They were beaten. At the bottom of that bridge, they were beating, beaten back over uh, the, uh, to that bridge. They organized the Brown AME Church in that neighborhood, which is an African-American neighborhood, before they started to march. And, and they beat them back into the church, back to the churches, back into the church, back into their homes. I had an opportunity uh, um, as a student of Southern Methodist, Southern Methodist University, we do annual civil rights pilgrimages to uh, landmark locations where civil rights events happened. And we attend, uh, um, uh, we always go to Evan Pettus Bridge in Southern Alabama and visit the location of this historic scene of the Bloody Sunday. And uh, uh, so as a commemoration of this particular march, uh, they hold a Jubilee Festival every year in Selma, Alabama, and when, uh, uh, as a as a uh, in commemoration of it, Senator John Lewis attends every single year. Um, um, Jesse Jesse Lewis, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson attends every every Lewis. Um, 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 Reverend Al Sharpton attends. The Rainbow Coalition Choir attends. Uh, uh, celebrities, people from all over the country far and wide, attend what they call now the Jubilee Festival uh, in Daphne, Alabama. People arrived, and we uh, got there to participate on one occasion, and it was absolutely wonderful. It is, and you may say, why would we want to do reenactment of that? We definitely don't want to forget the past. If we don't forget where we came from, we won't know where we're going. It's important, I think, to teach our children about the past, and this is an event that you can go to each year. If you, it's um, usually held in March. Uh, I want to say, um, um, and um, um, you can go. And again, they all meet up at the Brown Amy Churches. That week, they plan uh, different festivities uh, throughout. Um, it and, and they have um, um, all types of. Um, business um, seminars for African American people. They have uh, uh, church events. They have uh, uh, um, 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 parties. They have meetings. They have all types of organizations to for the enlightenment and up and bringing up uh, African American people to this day. And uh, so when they do this, they come and they hold that same church service that they held on that historic day back in 1965 when they marched across Elton Pettus Bridge. Um, and uh, they have a service. It is a wonderful service. It will change your life. I encourage, I encourage anyone to go individually or go as a group or go as um, 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 
as a church or take the, the kids from school or the kids from church and make sure that they go and maybe experience something. This is the 55th anniversary of the bridge crossing of the Edmund Pettus Bridge. That will happen. It starts on February the 27th this year and Mark goes through March 1st of the 2020. It, again, it commemorates the anniversary of Bloody Sunday of the march from Selma to Montgomery, uh, Alabama over the Edmund Pettus Bridge. The Edmund Pettus Bridge is named after a, a leader of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, and they wanted to change that name at one point, but everyone said, "No, leave it. We want to. We want history to be just what it's supposed to be." But if you're interested in going to the Jubilee Festival, uh, if you'll Google uh, Jubilee Festival or 55th Anniversary Bridge Crossing Jubilee Festival. Uh, or you can go to alabama.travel, and they have all of the information that's there. Again, they'll do a reenactment of the parade, a mock trial. They'll have blues, hip-hop, and gospel music festivals, step shows, pageants, unity breakfast. They have the Freedom Flame Award ceremony. They have a youth summit. They have storytelling by history makers, foot soldiers. Foot soldiers are those people who were actually there, who were actually participated. And they are and they're still with us today because what people don't know, the majority of our foot soldiers, our protesters back in those days, had to be children of uh, the middle school age and the high school age. If your parents who were of age of adult age had jobs, one they had jobs they couldn't do it, but the other thing they risked losing their jobs if they protested. So the main uh, participants of our protesters are uh, made up are made up of high middle school and high school kids who they couldn't fire. So they would leave school, organize, and protest. And so those people were quite young when they participated in this march back then, and are therefore a lot of them are still with us. And they are our historical foot soldiers. If you go to that area, you can meet up with them, or at the Jubilee Festival they will be there, and they will walk you through. What, exactly how it happened, how they themselves were beaten, chased, gassed, and it is a life-changing um, testimony. So if ever you get an opportunity, it's called the Jubilee Festival. It happens in Selma, Alabama. And I also want to take mention to say that not only African-American people came down that day, uh, SNCC and the LCC were, uh, invited the clergy from all over the country. Ministers, priests came from all over the country. And I, I, I never mentioned Bloody Sunday without mentioning some of our white protesters who were there who fought for us and died for the cause. Past uh, priest James Reed from upstate New York came down and was killed by a bunch of Ku Klux Klan because they felt like he had was a traitor to his race. And uh, a white a housewife by the name of Viola Louisa, who uh, saw uh, when the march did actually happen in the march to Selma to Montgomery, she was sitting at home. She's a mother of six doing anything, but she felt the injustice against black people weren't right. She got in her car. She came over. And when people would march across from Selma to Montgomery, needed a ride back. She had a car. She would uh, let the uh, carry African American marchers back to uh, uh, their original uh, marching spot. An FBI agent saw her in the car with a black man. He ran them off the road and he shot them both. Uh, Miss Louisa uh, passed uh, at that uh, assault, uh, at that attack. Uh, the black gentleman lived and was able to uh, testify uh, as to what happened to Miss Viola Louisa. So I want to always want to highlight. Uh, 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 some of our uh, white people, because not all white people were racist, not all white people participated uh, in the violence and ugly violence against African-American people at that time. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. That's what we said. Black history is your history, which is our people's history. And then you said something that uh, I just want to bring back that the, that the, our young uh, our young people at that time was participating in the march. Now we see the violence that was portrayed on the adults. Now, what what severity level of the violence portrayed on our young people? Because we might say they kids, they babies, that no harm will come to them. But let us know how dangerous that was for them. Oh, absolutely. They they did that, discriminate against uh, the fact that they were children, that they were grade school kids, that they were kids ranging from age 13, 7th grade, all the way up to high school. Uh, back then, it was very, very violent times. I spoke to some foot soldiers who were women who talked about how they were beaten as if they were men by the, uh, the Alabama police. It, they did not take it easy on you just because you were female. If you were a black female, they would beat you just like they would beat a black man at that time. They didn't care that um, they were children. Um, Jimmy Lewis was actually a teenager himself. He was a, a very uh, old, he he was not at all old, uh, old when he was killed trying to protect his elderly father in the streets of Alabama at the time. They did not discriminate against the fact that these were children. They beat them no differently. They had. Um, Whipped and chained, and they would wrap a, a, a strap and barbed wire fence, uh, fencing, and that's what they used against the marchers during those times. They did not discriminate. But the great thing about that was is uh, that those children were, and, and how I wish we had that same spirit of fight and protest in our children today, yes. which is why it is important to teach our children about African-American history and teach them where they come from. And again, I want to stress the importance at, at this moment about your right to vote. And it's your right to vote, the black vote, is more important at this time than it has, I believe, in my opinion, than it has ever been in the history yes, of, of voting. It's important this year, y'all, that we don't stay at home and complain about it, that we don't uh, uh, vote, that we don't think our vote can, Our vote counts. That's why they, they cater to us about the black vote. There's a reason for that. Our vote counts. And you know what? When we don't vote, it affects us the most. Police brutality, what we're talking about, we've seen the violence that has escalated, actually, since uh, Trump has taken office. And so we have black people who have been killed in their own home sitting on their own couch. There, it's no other reason. If you can't, if you can't get with the reason that people uh, died back at Selma, Alabama, on Bloody Sunday, and many other places around the world and country, and particularly in the South, when they protested uh, black the violence against black people for rights, for civil rights, then for if you can't get into that, then get into today's modern events that are happening against black people. The injustices of black people being killed and shot in their own homes, in their own backyards, on the phones, wherever they are. If you can't get into the history of that, you can't relate to that, then relate to today's situation. Get somebody, get somewhere, just say, I want to vote. Go to any, you can pick up a voter registration anywhere you think you can. Post office, just say something to somebody because you never know who's a registered. I was, uh, I registered, I was uh, sworn to register people to vote. There are people everywhere. Just go to your church, ask them. And if you don't go to church, when somebody go to church, say, hey, give me a voter registration card and please exercise your right to vote. Oh, that is so true. That is so true. And, you know, right now we're getting ready to do the, the census also. How important it is for us to be actually involved in the census? Because I don't want nobody to know what I'm doing. Come on, talk to me about that. 
Yes, yes. You know what? Um, I, I, I spoke to a, uh, a, an employee that did the census count, and, and in some some parts of the country, some neighborhoods, it can be quite dangerous to go into the, uh, the place to do the census counting. And so I, I took my hat off to those uh, census counters. But there is a reason why there is a census count, uh, people. Let's, let's be clear. We absolutely need to – There, the people that will come to your home or knock on your doors to ask you questions, they're not there to pry about what you're doing, what you're doing wrong, or what you're hiding, or whatever the case may be. They are there to get an accurate count of your household because based on this, this count of people, that is what uh, determines – the number of benefits that our state will be able to get toward a lot of the social services that you may already receive today. But it's important for us to get an accurate count and be counted so that we can say in this particular uh, uh, city, county, uh, whatever, we have this amount of people uh, of African-American families in, in our households are changing. And so it really is important to do the count. We're at a situation now where we have what we call a multi-generational household, and I have one myself, where we're taking care of our parents. So that's one generation. And then there's me. There's another generation. And then there are small children in the house. I don't have as much. I have some teenage nieces and nephews, whatever. And so you have them. So they call it a multi-generational uh, household or a sandwich household where three generations are sandwiched <laughs> together. And yes, so <laughs> we have to – so they, there aren't different homes that these people are in. We're all in one house. But no one will know that if we don't stand up and be counted. And being counted means that they can uh, – uh, that our state, that our county, our cities will be uh, awarded the extra um, – uh, taxes and things like that to support the needs in, uh, of, of social services that are provided to us uh, in our areas. But if we don't, if we're if we're not counted, they don't know. It's not about getting in your business. They don't want to know your business. They're there to get the numbers and get on out and get to the next household, and those numbers eventually help us all. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking that voting and census, they go hand in hand because once they get the numbers, yeah. well, we need to have elected officials in order to kind of infiltrate, you know, mandate those things that they found out. If they need more uh, housing, more resources in this area, that's why elected yeah. officials are coming in at. So they go hand yeah. in hand. So I want people to be mindful of that. I want you to be mindful. Yeah. Of that. And, you know, this generation, we seem to be lost now. I do juvenile ministry, and our young men, yeah. they seem not to have any future, no plans. And as I think about black history, I grew up at the back end of civil rights movement where they first, you know, where they, they didn't really stress not going to uh, different restaurants and going to department stores. I remember there was a place in here in Dallas that was a place that we couldn't go to. That was a central focus downtown, and we couldn't go there. Yeah. We had to only stay on the one-level floor. And I work at one of the county buildings that they still have a water fountain they, they designated for, for whites only. And they highlight that yes. to let us know that's a part of our history. And now we take yes. that for granted. And we walk around and we don't think about the people that went before us that made a way for us to do what we do. And then we do it out of error. We do it say, oh, I got yes. the rights to do it. One time you didn't have those rights. One time someone died yes. for you to have that right. And so you need to be mad for that person. And maybe you that person that this generation, that the next generation could say, hey, thank you for what you've done. You know, you, yes. you know, we have to kind of stop the madness. We got to stop yes. the madness. And, and for us to do that, though, we have to have men and women that are still committed, like yourself, to share with the next generation about the uh, about the cost that it took to get here. 
you see, as you were talking about the, our political environment, we're, we're voting out of error, and we're voting mm-hmm. uh, out of uh, out of our uh, uh, wrong desires. You see what we get. You know, in the Bible, mm-hmm. it talks about the nation wanted a king. Give us a king. Give us a king. And he said, this man is mm-hmm. not going to do you no good. We had seen signposts about our present president that wasn't going to do any good. People said, hey, this man isn't right. And we said, we don't care. Mm-hmm. We just want to do what we want to do. And you see what we're getting mm-hmm. now. And, and the government good. looks so bad that now it makes us don't want to vote. But you still got to vote, man. <laughs> you got to get in there and do something. Because if not, you're going to be held accountable for this. For generations to now come. is the time. You're right about that. Amen. Bro. You are right about that. Now is the time more importantly than ever. If we don't want to return to the days of Bloody Sunday and the, and, the, and the beatings and the cops and being able to have full unleashed authority over how they treat black people or people of color or poor whites, we better get up and we better get to moving, and and, and we better make and we better understand uh, uh, the consequences of not voting. You, we can't afford to stay home. We cannot afford to not participate. And you're right. Sometimes you ain't got to go far to find out what black people went through so that we can go through the front door of a restaurant or sit at the front of the bus or the train. You have no idea. Sometimes that historian is sitting right in your house. Go talk to your grandmother or your great-grandmother yes. or your uh, grand-uncle. Go talk to the elders in the church who have who were there back in the day. They'll tell you what they went through. They'll tell you how they were treated. And you gotta say, and that's what and you right, brother. I I I I'll vote to the day I die. They got the will. Because one thing I know, even just being on civil rights pilgrimages and doing my research on that, I would never want to allow the blood that was shed in the street by those people to go in vain. What they went through, and in, in, in like I said, you take a visit to that bloody Sunday jubilee in March, in February, in the February March, it'll change your life. You, 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 you come out of there, and you will be uh, on uh, trying to do everything you can. But we, again, we have to get out and vote. And you write, and again, back to the census, census that you brought up, that 2020 census counts the population of all 50 states and it it and it and, and it and it helps to determine it, it for what people don't really know it's actually uh uh it's the law uh we're actually supposed it's required by law even if but they, they they've got different ways they'll be doing it now they'll do it online they'll do it by mail they'll do it by phone so there's different ways that they'll try to be less intrusive but that 2020 census is very important in that the results of the census get this also determine the number of seats each seat will have in the U.S. Yes. House of Representatives, and they are used to draw congr- congressional and state legislative districts. Get that. There are yes. so many of us, African-American people and people of color throughout this country in the state of Texas and the Dallas-Fort area, and let me tell you something. you got two jobs to do this this year. You need to vote, and you need to stand up and be counted. Oh, that is so true. And, you know, as you were saying, this is a great conversation here, and I know that uh, we don't have enough time to finish it, but we got a whole month. We got a whole month to talk about this. We try to encourage yes. other men and women to be involved in the life. You know, I said a part of our tag on our show said help change your life. And I said that not out of error, but out of awareness that someone changed my life. I'm, not, I'm who I am because of someone else. Someone yes. else spoke up for me. Someone else was involved in my life. Someone else showed me the errors of my way to show me the benefit of, of, of participating in society. 
the benefit of yeah. working, the benefit of going to school, the benefit of learning to trade. I'm just about at the yeah. end of my working uh, uh, span, my working life. And, and guess what? I learned to trade at the time I was a teenager, and I've been working my entire life. I worked at other jobs, but that trade was always there. And I encourage our yeah. young men to get an education. Because no matter what you do Absolutely. in life, that education is just serve your foundation. Absolutely. Yes, you might be cleaning offices, Absolutely. but you got an a, a engineering degree. You could go back to that engineering degree. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes indeed. You, might you school, better believe you, that. You're a physician. You know, they'll ask you that. That'll take you, and that'll open up doors, but not just for you, but for those that are attached to you, your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors. You know, a lot of times we we see this thing in error. We just say, what is it for me? Now, what is it for the community? Help change a life. Yes. And I want to thank you. Yes. I want to thank you for help changing the life of a, of a community, of a nation, changing the consciousness of of a, of a community to let people know, hey, there is help available, but we have to participate in that. I believe Absolutely. in God. I believe in prayer. But after prayer, you got to get up and put your hand to the plow. God comes hey. to show you favor. Amen. Works without faith is dead. I mean, I mean, faith without works is dead. You got to get up and get moving. I mean, and and, and I got to bring that, and that's who brought them us through the civil rights movement back in those times. The faith of those people, the resilience to those people, and some knew. It, as Martin Luther King knew when he had his epiphany sitting at his kitchen table when he felt it, and when he said that he heard the call from God to lead the civil rights movement. We know the the consequences of 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 getting involved in it, but somebody's got to do it. And black people, listen up. You, they can't. We have we come from building pyramids in Africa. We are a resilient people. We are resourceful people. We are a, a amazing people. They have enslaved us, and they still haven't killed us off. Even when they enslaved oh, us, we, awesome. ended, we ended up we ended up outnumbering them in the south. So you can't put you can't you cannot uh, uh, you cannot put out this black fire. You cannot do it. We it's a strong fire. There is a reason. There's something about uh, 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 this people. God has made us so resilient and has given us the power, same power like no other. And to your point, brother Joe. It, we when they didn't want us to educate us, we built our own colleges, and that's why we have the historical yes. black colleges. There's a reason why they're historic because they were made back then, so that we said, "You okay? Y'all want to educate us and get us coffee? We'll get our own colleges together and we'll educate ourselves." So you have the Howard and the Tuskegee, oh, Alabama. So you have all of those universities to educate us and keep it moving. And so, and to your point, but I just want to thank you, Brother Joe, because for all these years, I have seen you work in the communities. I have seen you help uh, incarcerating young men and women, and we work together, you and your wife, and y'all have been a blessing, and you still on the battlefield for putting this information out or helping to encourage people and enlightening people on information and topics that are important to the African-American people or important to people in general. And you are a blessing, and I just want to say thank you for always giving, reaching out to me and giving me an opportunity to be on this platform that you created and that I believe has been a blessing to so many and will continue to listen. So thank you for that because we need this right here. And so thank you for getting this together, and we need more people doing what you do. Oh, well, God bless you. And likewise, likewise, thank you for what you're doing. We're not going to hold you up here because we have another guest that's coming on. We're going to talk about black incarceration also. That's a part of black history also. But we're going to yes, close out yes. with a, uh, with a speech from uh, from Bloody Sunday that leading up to about Martin Luther King. And I definitely want to uh, always highlight that. And then we're going to talk about some inventors and, and educators along the week too, uh, of the month. So we're going to encourage you to stay tuned. And if you have a desire to chime in, if you bring someone up that, that really inspired you, 
share with our listening audience. That same person that encouraged you may be encouraging someone else. And to all our listening Absolutely. audience, if you have a, 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 a historical fact or just something that really helped you through your, uh, 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 through your career and your lifespan, please share it with us. That number is 310-982-4126. And thank you. Thank you, that Sister Reed. Thank you, that Carol, my friend. We're going to play a short uh, audio of Martin Luther King, and then we'll be back with you shortly. Uh, this is the your interview. Now, we have another one coming up. You can hold on if you have a desire. You can always tune back and listen to this show. It's Absolutely. You've been a great Absolutely. guest. I thought You've I got to sit in and listen to this. I, thank you so much for all having right, me well, again. i got to sit in and listen to this incarceration talk. That's my, one of my favorite areas. Thank you. We have no alternative but to keep moving with determination. We've gone too far now to turn back. Hmm. And in a real sense, we are moving and we cannot afford to stop because Alabama and because our nation has a date with destiny. I'm here to tell you tonight that the businessmen, the mayor of this city, the police commissioner of this city, and everybody in the white power structure of this city must take a responsibility for everything that Jim Clark does. It's time for us to say to these men that if you don't do something about it, we will have no alternative but to engage in broader and more drastic forms of civil disobedience in order to bring the attention of the nation to this whole issue in Selma, Alabama. Uh, great. That was a great speech that we heard there by Martin Luther King regarding Selma, Alabama. That was prior to their marching, and he was letting them know, hey, if you don't do right, we're going to uh, take matters in our own hand. We're going to go out and we're going to protest for things that are right, for justice, for, for uh, living conditions, and all those things that's, uh, uh, that affects a society. And guess what? Those things are still valid today. I want you to continue to uh, uh, be on the battlefield. You just heard an interview from Carol Reed that was uh, giving us a historical facts regarding that march in Alabama. And now we're going to make that transition. We have a young man that's coming up here. We're going to talk about uh, incarceration because black history is your history from uh, 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 mass incarceration to uh, uh, being denied civil rights and stuff. Black history is your history. So the next voice you'll hear will be Michael. Good morning, Michael. You're on the net. Good morning. How are you doing, Mr. Lewis? Oh, good. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of our uh, program this week, uh, this weekend and this entire month. I'm excited about it because I grew up on the tail end of the civil rights movement, and I saw some of the effects of it where we couldn't go places, and the police stopped me at one time when I was a young man because this segment here is talking about mass incarceration for our young black men, and the police stopped me. They had a robbery in the neighborhood, and the police had already picked up one suspect, and I was just a young man. I was just walking from the store, and the police uh, saw me and said, hey, come here, and I'm not thinking that of it. He said, hey, uh, you were the part of this robbery. I said, well, I don't know. I didn't do nothing. And the police said, yes, you were. Quit lying. Quit lying. And he carried me over there to where the suspect was, and the guy was bloody and beaten up. And I don't know what, what, what that was. Maybe he was running and fell or something. I don't know. Maybe they beat him up. But they brought me over to him, and they asked him. They said, he was with you, wasn't he? And the man said, no. They said, quit lying, nigga. He was with you. 
And the man said, no, he wasn't with me. And just on what that man said, it could have changed my life. It changed my life. I could have been incarcerated for a crime that I had not, no knowledge of, been incarcerated for years and years, and then they found out that they made some mistakes like, they, like they've been doing now. Men have been incarcerated for a number of years, then they find out, hey, maybe we made a mistake. But wait a minute, I lost 20 years of my life. I lost 30 years of my life. And I want you to talk about that at mass incarceration for the black race and for the race, uh, for humanity and and Lord. Well, you know, Mr. Lewis, uh, as a black man, you can you can be incarcerated, you can be arrested, you can be stopped and picked up just because of your name, the namesake that your dad or grandfather might have carried, and just for, with the name being Sneed and Sneed being a criminal or Sneed did some a criminal acts. And when they pull my son over, he's automatically guilty because I was a criminal. And so I think that's wrong. And then, you know, at the way it is now, it says that uh, we're in black history. But the thing is, is I'm, I'm very sick. I'm very disappointed. I don't know about a lot of people hollering about they're excited. What is it to be excited then? What has changed in black history? What, what is new since Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks? Can you tell me what's new in black history? What have we done to, to move forward since then? So what is it to be excited about? You know, we got black judges, black DA, black ministers. They're not doing anything to make history. They're not doing anything for the black people. They want to vote, but once they get the vote, they're not coming to the community. They're in the community all day asking for your vote. And when they get it, they're not there. And I think that's sickening. That's very sickening. I don't know about to you and I don't know about to the listeners, but, you know, this to me is sickening. We're not moving. We're at the same place. You got a lady that uh, come on, got, talk to me about Ms. that. Kemp. We, you got Tammy Kim coming to you got Tammy Kim coming to the to the uh, to the hope summit yesterday. Okay, how can she be of a hope summit? How can she care about hope when she's down on bond reform for the minority? She's fighting against the minority for the bond reform to drop bond where people can make bond. Now, how can she be on our side and she's at our, at our, at our, <laughs> to honor us? You know, I don't understand. You got people like Ricky Rush. I'm not trying to cut these people down, but how can Ricky Rush speak for the prisoner when he never been to prison? How can he speak for the prison when he ain't going into prison? If you're going to have a prison reform, I think you need to have the prisoners that are talking. What they think need to be to be reformed. <laughs> Despite my sister can't so tell you what's good for that. me. And that's why we brought you out here. Now, tell us something about that, though, saying. What was some of the things that were missing at this summit? Because I was there yesterday. Now, now uh, you're hit on well, the key facts. The main thing was missing. The main thing was missing. Yeah, so talk to us. Yeah. And the main thing was missing was them talking to people like you, talking to people like me, talking to people that's been behind bars that know what they needed when they got out. How can my daddy know what I need? How can my mama know what I need? How can my sister know what I need? You know, no one knows what the what the incarcerated person needs better than themselves. And it ain't always just a house. It ain't always just a job. Some of these guys need help, mental help, different type of help. And we focusing on one or two things. All we focusing on is a place to live and a place to stay when it could be a mass killer just now. You see what I'm saying? And this guy may need mental help and don't know how to tell you, and you're not focusing on that. You're not focusing on his medical record while he's in TDC, you know, what you can do to really help him. And so uh, I'm just, uh, to me, so I'm, not, I'm not happy. I'm discouraged. You know. Yeah. Now, now, tell me about those things, there, because you have been a part of that, and I have to. What are some of the challenges as a brother gets out? Of you you already mentioned some things based on your experience and the availability of some of those things, there. 
what is the like or where's the where's the uh, 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 what what are we missing out on? Well, the thing is, is um, the main thing that we're missing out on. You know, the thing is, the, the thing, the, the biggest problem is we're being led so much. The people that was on the stage yesterday, these people said that they care about us. That's incarcerated. But when we get out, these people ain't nowhere to be around. We can't get nothing but an answering service. We can't get nothing but their secretary saying they'll call us back, and we're not getting any help. That's what the main problem is. They get on the stage, and they tell you what all they can do, what all they will do, or what do we need to do, but are they doing it? How many people are joining behind Minister Lewis and saying, hey, we need to help those juveniles. We need to stop them in their track before they get to it incarceration into prison. How many people, how many of them senators and congressmen have called you and told you that? Let's stop them now. Let, what can we do, Mr. Lewis? None of them, because they're not concerned. They're concerned about getting in the office, and when they get in the office, that's it. So the main concern is for families, to me, is for families to be involved and to be active in helping their son or their daughter reentry into society. You know, and so the, the system don't care. The system wants you back. That's how they get paid. That's how they hire. That's how it's so corrupted. You know, we say we talk about how corrupt. Well, oh, Trump. It ain't just Trump. What kind of example are our leaders setting for us? They setting the same example that Trump is setting for the world. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, Mr. Lewis? They're not setting any. I understand. And so, how can they set? How can how can we be so mad at Trump, which I am, and not be mad at my leaders, not be mad at my ministers? that's not doing nothing. You know, it's it's changed. As far as I'm concerned, history was when my house caught on fire, and my church would be there for my rescue. My church would be there for my family. Now your house caught on fire. They want to know when's the last time you paid tithes. What kind of history is that? You know, come on now, break it all down now, make it plain. Uh, and I just, you know what, you know, yeah. I can't do nothing to tell it like it is. Okay. I don't care, I don't care if people hate me, people don't like me. But the truth is the truth. You know, when we get back together and get as a whole, then we can make things happen. History can roll on. Martin Luther King would roll over yeah. in his grave if he know all the things he'd done to make a difference for this world and for black people. And we're going backwards. We're further back now than we was in the seventies. Now, now, now tell me, now, now Mike. Now, now tell me, what is some of the things that we can kind of do to kind of alleviate these things or kind of uh, assist our uh, ex-offenders in uh, in living a productive life? What can we okay, do as, as a society, as a group of people, uh, as a nation? Because you okay, you've been there, you know what some of the things that need and some things have been missing. Well, the thing is, is when you when a man is released from prison. In his mind, he wants to make it. In his mind, he's going to make okay. it. But instead of us being there at the spot when he's released, instead of us being there, these congressmen are saying, what can we do? These ministers are saying, what can we do? Instead of us being on the spot, the dope man catch him first. Instead of us being at the great high bus station, the dope man is there. We don't have time. We're not concerned. But if I'm released from prison and there's somebody there with a positive attitude and a positive idea for me, I'm going to listen. I'm going to go with them. I'm going to get in that car because I stepped out of prison. My mind is to stay. My mind is to make my my family pleased and, and happy about me, not to make them know that I'm just going to be a returner. But if I don't have the help from my society, uh, from the people that study, preach, and, and say what they what do we need to do, summit, uh, nothing's going to change. And nothing can change. I don't have a chance, you know. So we need we need the people. That's in, that's being elected 
or the people that sending them to prison to be more concerned, be as much be as much concerned about their reentry as we is about their entry. You know, about entering into the prison, about sentencing them with these long sentences, and then when they come out, they just all alone. You know, what can you expect, of Mr. Lewis? Uh, you sent a man to prison for twenty years, thirty years, fifteen years, um, and then he hits the street. And so he lost 30 years, 20 years, 15 years, 10 years of his life. Things have changed. When I went in, uh, I remember when I was released. Man, I should I come out like a dummy. People thought I was uh, up to something or I was uh, a detective or something because I was so lost. They didn't have microwaves when I went in. They didn't have uh, cell phones. I remember the day my sister picked me up, and she said, uh, I got in the car. I was full of tears. I was so happy. And when we drove off, Mr. Lewis, she picked up this little old thing, and she said, I got him. And I was like, golly, she's working for the police department, too. And it was a cell phone. I had never seen a cell phone. When I left, I wanted somebody had phones in the cars with police and things, big phones. So that's how much of my life that I was behind, and I needed help. I needed help. And so happened, I was lucky. I was the little the lucky one that God sent somebody to my rescue. But there's so many, as you know, Mr. Lewis, that can't um, – Make it in this world. They've been gone too long, and they can't fit in. They can fit in, but they're just lost, and so they need help. We need, they need help from people like you. They need help from people like me. They need help from the people that sent them. How would you feel, Mr. Lewis, you was released from prison, and your judge or somebody from that courtroom was there to say, we're here to welcome you back and help you in any way we could? Would that make a difference in your life? Yeah, yeah, brother, and that is so true. That is so true. You know, I, I'm glad that you're on that program today to share with us the experience of it and the, and and the agony, man. I feel the pain I, because it's lost and it's scary, man. Because we we hear about people wants to help out, but we seem to be lost and seem to we seem to be just inside a big maze. And you know, you say you want to help me, I go over here. There's no help in there. Can we hear this? You say that it needs to be some structure. It needs to be some commitment. Right. I can hear it in your voice. And I even experienced yeah. that myself in the justice system. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, and we've been held accountable for the crimes that we committed. And, you know, and it, never, right. and, and it keeps you from getting various jobs, places to stay. It keeps you from social activities. Those things that hinder your progress. And sometimes like you can't even vote. And, you know, yeah. we were and you know, that the early. people. And you know, the people that say they want to help us, they're the main people that's keeping us from getting those things. They're the main people that say they don't want us in their neighborhood. They're the main people that don't want to hide, but they'll get on the stage and say how much they want to help us, you know, but they won't, you know. Uh, people don't want you living by them. They don't want to hire you. And it's, it's like I said, it's basically the same people that's, that's telling you that we want to help. What can we do for prison reform? What can we do? How can we help? You know, we don't need to come to a meeting for us to get involved. We don't need to for, for somebody to put us on the spot or make us feel like we're somebody. Get involved. I get involved. I don't need nobody to tell me nothing. I'm at every picket sign. I'm at everything that I can get at because I know what I need to do to make things better. I don't need a push from you. <laughs> I know what I need to do. So uh, the thing is, all the people that wants to get involved are not getting involved. You know, like I say, look at the list of people. You have this program in your hand. Look at the list. Talking about reentry, what have these people, any of these names you heard, have done anything for the prison system on reentry? How many of these people did, did did you hear about when you was incarcerated? 
I didn't hear about none of these people, none of these organizations. So uh, if they get involved as much, if they get involved with the reentry and the uh, rehabilitation of the prisons, uh, it would be a big difference. It would really make a difference if everybody on that stage would join hands and get with the board, the parole board, to start making a difference. And that's where it starts at. That's so true. Mike, I want to thank you for this interview here. We're not going to hold you up. We have the phone line that's lit up, lighting up here. We're going to bring in our co-host this morning, Brother Richard Daniel. That number you can call into the program is 310-982-4126. We're speaking with Mike Snead. We're talking about uh, a reentry program and ex-offenders. But we're uh, dedicating this show to our black history for black history, show history from mass incarceration to uh, uh, economic uh distress or whatever it may be that's concerned the black population or black people as a whole. Uh, we're, having, uh, we're having a great time this morning. And, you know, brother, uh, uh, Michael brought some things to light that are very important. You know, we uh, we said that there are some help for our uh, ex-offenders, our brothers that's been released from incarceration. We said that there's some help, but when they get out there, they find out that there's no help and it's frustrating. And they find out that they end up doing the same thing that got them in there because of lack of resources. We need to be very mindful that there need to be some resources out there that's available that doesn't take a lot of labor to get to it, you know. That's one of the big things about it, right? Right. Uh, uh, Right. About the resources. It just takes so much to get to the resources, you know. We need them right then. We need them right then. When we release, we need the resources right then. We don't need the resources a week later, two weeks later, three weeks later. We don't need to get on a computer and try to find this when we've never seen a computer. We need resources right now as soon as we step out. Oh, that is so true. That is so true. We're going to bring out a co-host on the line here and say, here we have a few things to say. Good morning, Brother Daniel. You're on the net. Top of the morning to you, Brother Lewis. How are you doing today? We're good. I'm doing great. Well, we have two great guests here this morning here. Thank you for your patience. And, and so we just want to hear a word from you if you have anything to say regarding our two topics here. We have Michael on the line right now. We were talking about black incarceration, what we can do to uh, assist our brothers as they've been released and some of the uh, services that may be available. Well, I've been doing a lot of listening, and I like both guests. You know, the first lady, she said a lot about, uh, I watched this movie about Selma, about that that very same bridge, and uh, it it was a very... uh, very nice movie, excellent movie because it was uh, it was produced by a black lady, and basically everything she wrote on there it was true, and everything she said about true about those people that were trying to work with her, uh, was working with the blacks, they suffered too, you know, they died too, and uh, yeah, you know, and a lot of things brothers were saying just while ago about, you know, I, I said a song, I wrote a couple of um, months ago by what would Dr. King think about today? You know what I'm saying? You see people doing stuff. He died. They died for all of us. And now we're not moving in no kind of direction. We still like a still, still. Everybody's saying, like James Brown had a song. He said, you're talking loud and saying nothing. You know what I'm saying? They're talking loud and doing nothing. You know, most of the time when you vote most of the time, the people come out of nowhere, come in your neighborhoods, want you to vote for them, and then the next three years, <laughs> they, they, they disappear. Yeah. You know, they don't ever come around. And that is so, 
That's so true. That's so true. Now, I want to ask uh, uh, Michael Sleep. Now, Mike, as you got out and you started your uh, process of recovery, what agency were able to help you that you really thought highly of and some that you would like to refer some of your brothers that just find getting out and trying to get reestablished with the community and the family? Was there an agency that well, you said, hey, they really done me some good? Well, when I got out, as soon as I was released from prison, I had in my mind, I had my mind made up that I wasn't going back, you know, that that wasn't my life. I didn't like somebody uh, issuing toilet paper to me, telling me what time to go to bed and being in lockup for several days with a guy stinking and me stinking. So what I did was when I got out, I went straight to fighting. Uh, my first agency, I went home with my family, and within less than 90 days, I had my own apartment. I had jobs. My main connection then was Project Reconnect, which is not – uh, still in exist, but there's plenty of other organizations that are. Uh, Project Reconnect gave me an apartment just like that, told me to go find one where I wanted. I got the apartment. I felt good about myself. I had a job, got me a job. I felt good about myself. I got me a car. I felt good about myself. I started getting me a bank account. I started feeling good about myself. I got in church. I started feeling good about myself. All I was doing was looking forward and going forward. I wasn't looking back. And I look forward. And so the main thing, the organizations and stuff are out there, but they're in our head, and we don't, we, they're not going to come knocking on the door. The thing is, if you know about organizations, the thing about organizations is that we have to go to them. They're not going to come to, well, Mr. Smee, I heard you got out of uh, prison and you need food or you need uh, a place to stay. If I don't seek it, they're going to give it to a nephew or a niece. And that's how most organizations get busted, by giving apartments giving government assistance to other people because we're not going out to reach out to get them. But we do need a networker that can meet these guys and show them that what they can get, what they can get, what's out there for them. Without them coming out saying, I have to go straight from the ground. I don't have nothing. Nobody wants to help me. We need someone that can be able to meet them at the Greyhound and say, hey, you know about Project Reconnect? You know about Hungry Food Program? You know about overnight stay. I'm just saying some names. Uh, it's not really exist, but I'm just bringing them up. But we need to tell them about what they can do, what they got, instead of just looking at them at the Greyhound bus. They say, "Hey, you just got out." You know, that's not really a welcome home by saying you just got out. You know, so we we we, we need to come up with something. The city really need to do it. The city, uh, the county sends them to prison, so the county need to have something to reenter them as they arrive at the Greyhound or wherever, you know. So, um, like I say, it's, it's them or some of the program, but you have to feel good about yourself. The number one step is when you get off the bus. If someone's there to greet you and give you the give you the right welcome, then you're ready to go. But if you're not, you're at the bus station, and all the negative, all the stuff that you did before you went is going through your head, uh, guys walking by smoking K2, cigarettes, this and that, and you want to hit. So you need a positive welcome home. It's what you need, number one. And you'll take it from there. I guarantee you, you'll take it from there. You know, if I put a steak in front of you, I don't have to tell you how to cut that steak or how to eat that steak. Just lay the steak down on the table, you know. And so say, if uh, we're there to, to give them a positive. Say, uh, yes, sir. Say, uh, uh, bro, Sneed, can I say something? Yes, sir, you can. Okay, uh, you know, I, I ain't never been in uh, prison before, but my brother and a couple more of my people have come by and they told me about a whole lot of things about 
you were saying something about that Greyhound thing. Like uh, yes, most average uh, drug uh, used to form a drug user, when they get out uh, and they go down now, I don't know where, I believe it was down there in Houston somewhere, right? Once they go yes, down sir. there, they are met by people selling them drugs. And, 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 you know, they've been won all the time, man. You know what I'm saying, man? I've been trying to be straight, man. Nah, hey, man, you right. know what you got? I got it for you. I got it for you. They right there. That's and it. that's the biggest, that's the biggest test you could ever do when a person first get out of jail and then you, the devil, bring up the very thing that sent them down. And the very thing that's they right. struggling with. You know? That's and what I don't know why nobody never chart. wanted to do anything about that, you know? Well, you know, I know, that, I know you can't keep test. on fighting the battle for them, but that that first that first test, the first That's test it. when a person gets That's out, and then you you embarded, you bombarded by all these youngsters that comes up to you trying to make a fast buck, and they don't care who they hurt. I'm not saying that it's still going on or not. I you know I I, I haven't heard anything lately about it, but. They had told me that's one of the main things what's happened. When they get on that Greyhound bus, they are approached by, you know, people saying, man, I, you know, I got, I got it, I got it. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm just saying. That's I'm just right. saying. I'm just saying. That's, that's right. That's what I was mentioning is that the first entry into uh, Dallas County, whatever county you may be, is the, the first entry your first welcome is what it's going to be. That's just the bottom line. You know, if I welcome yeah. you with marijuana, it's exactly the way you say it. They're doing that, and the people that are on the bus station, they don't care as long as they don't come in the bus station. People know, uh, police know, security know that these guys are out there. And like you say, they're selling everything, what you want. They're selling cell phones that don't even work. They're selling everything huh. just to make a buck or to bring down this man that just got out because he's, the little, yeah. he's, he's stupid. He don't know. He's been locked up. And so we're not there to help them. We need to have somebody have that first entry is the main entry. If we miss the first entry, we missed it. We missed mm. it. We may hear about him on the news in any day. But we need to be there for the first entry. That's the main thing. And because in prison also, Mr. Lewis, um, in prison they teach you that you cannot make it out here. You have an X on your back. You are a felony. You can't drive trucks. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't get and so a they ball. teach you this. You can't, yeah, they teach you this. You can't get a place. You can't do this. And all of this is a lie. But once you step out of that gate, your head is full of lies and what you can't do. And so when somebody come up with what they you can do, then boom. You see what I'm saying? So it, it's a tough it's a tough thing. to to. It's tough going in and it's tough coming out. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. Got anything to say, Remlu? Yes, yes. And as we get ready to close out the program, I want to thank our guests, Michael and uh, Carol Reed, for a great show. This is a great show moving forward to the rest of the month here because it's this type of program and enlighten us on things that's going on in the community. We're going to close out here with a testimony from a, a, a Fannie Lou Hammer, a powerful testimony. Let me say one more uh, thing for you, Close. Summer. Let me say one more thing for you, Close, please. Oh, Can I say one more thing? Again. I yes, want to ask people that if you if you're really concerned 
about making a change, I ask y'all to contact Mr. Lewis. We don't need politicians. We don't need people that's promising us to make a change. If you're willing to make a change, contact Mr. Lewis. Let's join hands. Let's make a Lewis. Let's make a change, whatever we got to do, you know, because the politicians and the people, they got to check. We done elected them. They in the office. And so how many times do we see that, that the politicians that we elect are failing us? We're not, we don't need office. We just need a change. And so I ask y'all to contact Mr. Lewis. Contact him. Ask him about me. Let's join in. Let's go together. Right now I'm working on prison bond reform, trying to get bonds out for uh, people that can't afford it. It don't make sense that a minority go in with the same crime and and have a million-dollar bond and a a rich guy go in with the same crime and have a 20000 bond. We're fighting on dropping the secure telephone calls. I don't know if you see me. I was on news this week. I was there at the council meeting, and I'm fighting to drop the the high prices in telephone, if not drop it completely. So, hey, join in. Ask Mr. Lewis for my number. What can I do? How can I help? Everybody's got somebody in prison. Everybody knows somebody's been in prison. Everybody's got somebody in jail. Everybody knows somebody's been in jail. Call me. Call Mr. Lewis. God bless you. Have a good weekend. God bless you. Hey, give us that number before you go. My, my number is 469-554-1269. My number, again, is 469 469- Five five four twelve sixty nine. We'll be in front of the uh, commissioners and the commissioner judge uh, again in a week, fighting for this telephone to be released. I spent over fifteen hundred dollars in six months when I was there, so I know you have a loved one. Every people taking food out of their family's mouth to try to pay a high phone bill. People are giving their food that's incarcerated just to make a call to try to contact a lawyer, contact a family. That don't make sense. Please join us. That's so true. 469 God bless you, Mike. We're going to close out with another testimony here from what our program is. And thank the guests for being online today. Thank you, Brother Daniel. And we'll be back after this uh, brief uh, uh, audio testimony from Fannie, uh, from Fannie Lou Hammer. The testimony He had a lineup of very different people. They had Rita Schwerner, the widow of Mickey, who had been killed in the Shoba County. They had Martin Luther King, everybody knew King. The seating of the delegation from the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party has political and moral significance far beyond the borders of Mississippi or the halls of this convention. But the highlight of the testimony was that of Fannie Lou Hamer. The sharecropper who had been evicted from her plantation had come to symbolize the Mississippi movement. Mr. Chairman, and to the Credentials Committee, it was the 31st of August in 1962 that 18 of us traveled 26 miles to the county courthouse in Indiana.
he did it knowing that they would break away, thinking he might announce who his choice of vice president was going to be. Instead, he gets up there and he announces, get this, he announces that it's nine months to the day since, since Governor Conway, who was there, was shot along with President Kennedy. So he announced a nine-month anniversary. Everybody's scratching their head. And then he leaves. By that time, Danny Lee Hamer's testimony was over. Johnson because it became a story that she had been taken off television and in the news that night and for days afterwards they replayed her testimony. I was carried to the county jail and put in the booking room. They had some of the people in the booking room and began to play us in jail. She had Mississippi in her only the team or the Smithfield Secretary, they couldn't do a thing he did. They couldn't be a sharecropper and express what it meant.
at the next appointed time. Gonna continue this journey. Come walk with me. For well, Black History is your history. <laughs> 